electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is the American Greed Podcast, presented by CNBC. I'm Stacy Keach. In this episode of American Greed, the Romano brothers of Long Island are working the phones, selling $75 million worth of coins to eager and naive investors. The salesmen knew who they could trick and confuse, and they kept going back to the well. But when the families arrested for mail and wire fraud... Joseph Romano wants payback from the ones who put him away. A total of $40,000 would be paid for the killing of the judge and the prosecutor. Oh, you pull right the f***ing Prison cameras catch Romano plotting with a hired killer. But murder's only part of the gruesome plan. He wants both her heads from Melbourne. For the first time, Romano's chosen hitman tells the whole story. His hatred towards these two people was, was so great. He wants her in a 35-gallon drop. Not a 50, but a 35-gallon drop. <laughs> in Levittown, Long Island, 18-year-old Michael Romano is an entrepreneur with a plan. He's recently graduated from Division Avenue High School, and now he's selling collectible coins for a local telemarketing company. He knows nothing about coins, but he's a strong-willed salesman, says Assistant U.S. Attorney Lara Gatz. He enjoyed the power that he had over people, and he enjoyed manipulating them and pulling their strings and getting them to do what he wanted them to do. Romano quickly decides he's learned enough to run his own company. He lives in this suburban home where he's already planting the seeds of a family criminal empire. The Romanos were from a middle-class family on Long Island. From a business purpose, they were not very that sophisticated. I don't think they were highly educated, but yet their plan was ingenious, what they did. In 1988, Romano sets up shop in this storefront in nearby Massapequa and names it Wall Street Rare Coins. He hires a small sales staff to work his phones, including his oldest brother, Joseph, who has recently left the Navy. None of these people had any experience in the coin industry. None of them collected coins themselves. None of them even liked coins from what we understand. It was just a quick way to make money. Joseph, weighing in at nearly 300 pounds and well over six feet tall, is loud and imposing. He's the sales manager running the shop with an iron fist. They're hawking a variety of coins, but Ben Franklin half dollars are particularly easy to move. Investors like them because they are 90% silver and because they can be very cheap. William Hessel is a returned U.S. postal inspector. At the ground level with their starting, can't go wrong. So they'll, they'll sign on and, and for $110 or $120 or $150, they'll buy a couple of rounds of Ben Franklin half dollars. 
Real coin experts, known as numismatists, carefully grade coins on a scale of 1 to 70. Coins falling between 60 and 70 are the most prized. Romano salesmen are claiming they've landed a windfall. Near-perfect coins recently discovered at estate sales. And they came across 100 rolls of Benjamin Franklin half dollars that hadn't seen the light of day in 40 years. All day long, salesmen worked the phones, targeting mostly retired and elderly amateur collectors with once-in-a-lifetime deals. So the idea was start people small with silver coins, tell them they're going to increase in value, get them to buy more and more coins, and ultimately steal their life savings. And that's really their business model. The pitch snares anyone willing to listen, especially those new to buying coins. If you were a savvy coin collector, you would never have bought coins from Michael or Joe Romano because you would have known right away that something was, was, was up. What's up is that the Romanos aren't selling rare mint condition coins discovered at estate sales. They were buying their coins locally. They had um, wholesalers located uh, throughout Long Island. One of them was in Queens. And Michael is grading the coins himself, giving them arbitrary numbers to inflate their value. Michael Romano decided what he wanted to sell that coin for and then slapped a grade on as an afterthought, frankly. So Michael Romano's only job in his life was defrauding people, selling them bogus coins. And he's good at it. Michael Romano is on his way to pocketing nearly $7 million. But that success leads to serious sibling rivalry. And in 2001, Joseph quits to start his own company. It's been described as a falling out over money. It's been described as a falling out over sales practices. Joe Romano doesn't leave empty-handed. He takes his brothers Salvatore and Vincent with him. Joe had an amazing ability to get people across the board to do what he wanted them to do. Things they knew were wrong, things that they didn't even want to do. But he had an incredible way of convincing people to do his bidding. He opens Last Quarter Coin, Inc. in nearby Copeg, using all the tricks he's learned from his kid brother. They were running identical scams into two different locations on Long Island. They had a rivalry amongst themselves of who's making more money, who's the smarter one, and who could outdo the other one. Soon, millions will be flowing into Joseph Romano's pockets as well. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Brothers Michael and Joseph Romano will each perfect separate coin telemarketing frauds on Long Island between 2001 and 2008. But Washington State AARP Director Doug Shadell says the real maestros are their salesmen who work the phones tirelessly. It's like going one-on-one -on -one with Michael Jordan, you know? You're not gonna win. These guys are really good on the phone. That's all they do all day long. Michael likes to hire fronters, young men that he can easily control. He would select people to work for him 
who he knew he could manipulate, people with drug problems, people with emotional problems, people with family problems. Artie, who asks that his identity not be revealed, begins working for Michael Romano in 2006. He's 25 years old and addicted to the club drug GHB. Although he knows nothing about coins, he's offered a job on the spot. They originally didn't describe the job to me. They kind of did a very good job of showing me all their beautiful cars and boats and houses and money and watches and jewelry. For a drug addict with no money, seeing Michael's lifestyle is the only pitch Artie needs to hear. I want that. I want money. I want a boat. I want a house. I want a nice car. Soon, Artie's making a straight 17% commission selling collectible coins. His office is a textbook boiler room, a high-pressure cooker designed to make money fast. No windows, no light, just desks, phones, and the pitches. Artie works the phone all day long, selling coins to anyone he can keep on the line. This coin has been trending for upwards of $500. Today, you can get it for $350. Out of 100 leads, I would say maybe once or twice, somebody would actually say yes. Each pitch is carefully scripted. Every word is written down. Incredible condition, beautiful luster, lowest price in years, very limited supply. We just got back into town from a great coin show, and something very exciting came in. You know, we're trying to create a sense of urgency to purchase something. Artie, the 25-year-old drug addict, will make $250,000 during his two and a half years working for Michael Romano. He admits that kind of money takes the sting out of ripping people off. When you're getting a job that's paying you $2,000 a week, your conscience really isn't playing a factor in it. Drugs are prohibited in the office. But after work, anything goes, says attorney Martin Imuna, who represents another Romano salesman. After work, a lot of these salesmen would go do lines together, go to strip clubs, go to bars, and spend a lot of money. Imuna says Michael Romano routinely partied and did drugs with employees after hours. He had that godfather mentality. He's the one that called the shots. He wanted to pretty much say, not only do I control your life during business hours, I control your life after business hours as well. Joseph Romano runs his job differently. His closers are top salesmen that won't take no for an answer. These were guys that weren't kids, and they knew every angle. 38-year-old Tom Arnold is Joe Romano's top closer. His trick is to befriend his clients so that he can get into their wallets. You would keep in touch with them. They would become uh, your new best friend. The nicer you spoke to people, the better results you would get. Arnold works the phones with precision, earning 25% commission on everything he sells. Tom Arnold would inevitably close the deal because Tom Arnold knew how to get people to buy coins. He was excellent at it. He's an excellent liar. This video of Arnold and Romano brother Salvatore shows the men talking and enjoying smoke breaks outside the company. But these images, recorded by Joe Romano himself, provide a rare look behind the scenes of a working boiler room. He's installed 10 security cameras in the office to make sure his employees are sticking to the script. 
It was like Oz pulling the strings. Joe's idea was, no matter where I am, I can check on them and see what they're doing at any time. In these videos, the salesmen are relentless. Repeat customers with deep pockets are called whales. Arnold's job is to get those whales to keep spending money. He does that by offering deals on increasingly expensive coins. So you want to sell them as much as you can. It escalated from the Ben Franklins up to uh, extremely rare sets of coins that were $50,000, $100,000 each. Under the watchful gaze of his boss, Arnold keeps closing sales. And if his marked claim that they are out of money, he always has a helpful solution. You would encourage them to take out a, an equity loan or any type of way to get the money for the coins. Big sales mean big paydays. In five years, Arnold says those 25% commissions add up quickly. Over the course of the time, I think I made over $3 million. But the problem with the Romano boiler rooms is no matter how smooth the promises, how polished the lies, sooner or later customers realize they're not getting what they paid for. Criminals have a way of knowing when the house of cards is about to fall. And Michael and Joe both knew when it was time to move on. For the Romanos, that's part of the business plan. Between 2001 and 2008, both Joseph and Michael Romano will each own three coin fraud companies on Long Island. And they are all the same. Nondescript storefronts designed to hide the past. If someone says to you uh, at the new company, well, aren't you part of that old company? They can say, uh, well, no, we're, uh, that company's gone. This is a new company. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. In the summer of 2008, Tina Morton is making a heartbreaking discovery in San Diego. Her uncle, Ray Gibbons, has been caught in the Romano's coin fraud snare. Ray mortgaged his house. He sold anything of value, emptied his bank accounts. He had nothing by the time it was over. Gibbons has been secretly giving the Romanos nearly $370,000 practically bankrupting himself in the process. These common are experts. They know what to say, how to prey on them, and they just have no scruples whatsoever. Born in 1923, Ray Gibbons has survived the Great Depression and World War II, where he served in the Navy aboard the USS Warhawk. After the war, Gibbons becomes a design engineer, settles in Texas, and eventually retires from Lockheed Aircraft in 1991. He worked his whole life, uh, lived very frugally, and was looking forward to living a nice life in retirement. But when Romano salesmen target him in 2007, Ray Gibbons isn't a war hero. He's just a source of easy cash. They're very smart. 
He's a sports aficionado, so they would talk baseball, football, basketball with him, gain his trust. So he called them his most trusted friend. 2,600 miles away in Virginia, John is a recently retired federal parole officer who spent 30 years dealing with bad guys. But that experience won't protect him either when the Romanos come calling in 2004. I feel that I should have been wise in terms of how this thing went down, but these guys, they had it down pat. Because his family and friends don't know the full story, he's asked that his identity be kept secret. When Joe Romano's top salesman, Tom Arnold, calls with a deal on rolls of Ben Franklin coins for $390, he jumps on it. So I thought, well, this must be a good investment, and, and I would make some money, and needless to say, that part didn't work out. To keep John buying more coins, Tom Arnold sweetens the deal. He says he's found a wealthy and mysterious third-party investor who wants to purchase all of John's coins for a hefty profit. They would explain that the large investor was very rich, multimillionaire, and that he didn't want to go through the trouble of buying individual roles. Ray Gibbons is also hearing the same promise. His so-called benefactor is a Japanese businessman named Mr. Ahita. Mr. Ahita represented his payday. He never met him, but he talked about him like he knew him. I mean, he'd say, oh, he has a private plane, he has all these things. But to complete the sale, John and Ray Gibbons are told they must buy more coins. $10,000, even a $44,000 roll of coins. The idea was, again, to move the finish line. The investor that was going to buy their coins didn't only want rolls now. That investor wanted gold coins. That investor wanted silver coins. But each time Romano investors are scheduled to buy John and Ray Gibbons sets, the deals fall apart. Well, the investor decided that he wanted to buy a couple additional rolls. There was always an additional roll or two or whatever. And needless to say, we never got to the point that, that the investor ever purchased these. There's a good reason these deals never happened, admits salesman Tom Arnold. They were imaginary. Uh, there was no real investors. But John and Ray Gibbons don't know that. They both borrow money from friends and family, digging themselves in deeper and deeper. I cashed in a life insurance policy that I had. Uh, I basically cleaned out a good part of my savings accounts. It was almost the never-ending scheme because once they got involved, they felt they couldn't extricate themselves until they got their money, and they were never going to get their money. While John, Ray Gibbons, and thousands of other Romano clients are buying themselves into bankruptcy, Michael and Joseph are basking in the fruits of their spoils. They lived in a middle-class and residential area. They didn't do anything extravagant, but yet, their bank accounts spoke for themselves. Michael puts much of these seven million he's raking in straight into savings. He put his money in, in a checking account like every average person because he has convinced himself over the years that he did nothing wrong. But he does like to splurge, says former employee Artie. He had a Range Rover, had a nice BMW, nice boat, and a nice house. 
He parties it up in his West Islip bachelor pad, and when he hits the town, money flows freely. He was definitely a single guy trying to bring home different women every night and, uh, you know, rocking the nice cars and, you know, the nice watches and the nice clothes. Oldest brother Joseph Romano still lives down the street from the Levittown house he grew up in. But the suburban facade he's created for himself on Long Island doesn't tell the full story. Over a five or six year period, Joseph Romano made over $13.5 million. Joe Romano spends his money on Florida real estate. He dumps more than a million dollars into a Palm Beach mansion he's built in this gated community. His children were in private school, his wife didn't work. He was able to, with the coin for proceeds, live a very nice lifestyle. One of Joe's passions is collecting antique cars. He spends tens of thousands of dollars rebuilding his prizes from scratch. He came to New York regularly, he took people out. He liked to be the big man at the bar, so to speak. He was really a very flashy, flamboyant person. And it's all built on proceeds from a coin fraud draining thousands of victims dry, so long as they don't fight back. By the fall of 2008, 78-year-old Walt Shepard is furious with the Romano salesman, who hound him constantly, particularly top closer Tom Arnold. So once you do this, I can tell you, no, I'm serious, that it's Shepard spent $141,000 on coins he's bought over the phone. Now he's out of money. At first, I was paying 300 or so for the first roll of coins, but the time I got to the end, uh, it was something like 30,000. I've exhausted all my means. I can't do any more. You put me in Shepard's begun secretly taping the conversations he's having with Tom Arnold. I knew that somebody ought to do something about it. The tapes gave me the proof. Uh, you know, and it was perfectly evident what had happened. Shepard lives deep in the oak-covered hills of North Carolina, and he's never been afraid to fight for what he believes. In 1944, 14-year-old Shepard lies about his age and enlists in the Army Air Force, where he sees action in the Pacific. A year later, he's already a sergeant at Iwo Jima, when his captain discovers his age and threatens to ship him back home. I said, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay right here. After the war, Shepard spends his life selling life insurance, designing mobile homes, and patenting four inventions. But none of that matters once Tom Arnold gets his number. Arnold's always got good news. He says Shepard's coins are worth 10 times what he's paid for them. Okay, let me get your portfolio up on the screen over here. I've got... Arnold's even found an investor to buy Shepard's coins, but the deal never quite works out. There was always an excuse that uh, something happened or, or uh, they couldn't settle out and there'd be a few more days and they'd drag it out. And this gentleman in California pulled the plug on me yesterday and it was not pretty, okay? And then after that, had uh, time to kind of cool off, then they'd hit you back for another roll of coins. The 50 roll is 44,000. The 51 roll is 40,000. Okay. 
The problem is I have a deadline of 15 minutes from now. They never left you alone. They called and called and called. Now, all Shepard has to show for $141,000 is a pile of unopened coins that he can't sell. On tape, he eventually loses patience with Tom Arnold. Well, I called him a lot. I called him what he was. I should have called him a whole lot worse. <laughs> Thanks to Arnold's lies, Shepard hopes his coins are worth seven figures. But a local appraiser is less optimistic. So he's being told they're worth $1.4 and they're really worth $20,000. That's how egregious the lies were here. He just confirmed, just confirmed what I probably already knew. In 2008, Shepard hands over his recordings to state investigators. He's not the only one filing complaints about the Romano brothers' coin ring, says Assistant U.S. Attorney Lara Gatz. If it was one or two complaints, it wouldn't have called for a full federal investigation. But there were dozens and dozens and dozens of complaints. Gatz and Postal Inspector Bill Hessel begin surveillance on the Romano brothers' operations. They interview victims and examine thousands of bank transactions. Hessel even goes undercover, using a hidden camera to capture Tom Arnold hard at work. The evidence they collect is astounding. 3,000 victims across the country have lost more than $60 million to Romano telemarketers. On November 24th, federal agents swoop in on the boiler rooms run by Michael and Joseph Romano. The salesmen were arrested, coins were seized, people were confessing. It certainly was a good day for the coin fraud investigation. Among those arrested are salesmen Artie and Tom Arnold. When he meets with Prosecutor Gatz, Artie is offered a sobering choice. I'm either going to quit the business, accept our responsibility, straighten out my life, or I'm going to jail, 100%, no ifs, ands, or buts. So I chose uh, straightening out my life. Artie's not the only one to turn on his former boss. Tom Arnold and several of the other salesmen will rat out the Romanos to earn plea deals. We had videos, we had the audios, we had the victims. But to have the salesmen come up and say, I was wrong and I know I was lying, that's the icing on the cake. Both Artie and Tom Arnold plead guilty and are currently awaiting sentencing. All four Romano brothers, Michael, Joseph, Salvatore, and Vincent, will be charged with mail and wire fraud. Their cases are overseen by federal judge Joseph Bianco. Judge Bianco was a former prosecutor. He's known as being a very competent judge and a tough judge. Judge Bianco allows the brothers to post bail so long as they promise no more telemarketing operations. But Joseph's already made $12 million, and when he gets back to his Florida mansion, he starts a new operation with the help of a friend named David Merkovic. Merkovic was a car salesman in Florida, which is how Joe and he met as neighbors and through the car business. Merkovic, a six and a half foot tall, 240 pound former Marine, has watched Joseph Romano living large in Florida. And now he wants a taste too. 
You remember, David Merkovic was selling cars. He knew nothing about coins either. This fraud doesn't require anything more than the ability to lie and manipulate. In 2009, they opened Collectible Coins in Palm Beach County. Merkovic will run the operation while Joe sits quietly in the background collecting more money. It turns out to be a, uh, a boiler room coin company very similar to the one that was established in New York. Um, David Merkovic was the store operator of that company. Romano is able to pad his bank account nicely for almost a year until the feds figure out what he's up to. When we got wind of what was going on, the financial records we obtained indicated that Joe had earned over a million dollars during that time. In March 2010, Joseph Romano's bail is revoked, and soon after, Judge Joseph Bianco sentences him to 15 years in federal prison. Romano is shocked. He's been expecting a slap on the wrist, not serious prison time. Former salesman Tom Arnold says Joseph Romano made it clear he holds Judge Joseph Bianco and Prosecutor Lara Gatz personally responsible. Joe said if they give me 20 years, I'll kill them. And I thought he was kidding. And then uh, the rest is history. People say, I'm going to kill that person. I'm going to break his legs. I'm going to beat him up. Usually it stops right there. Mr. Romano didn't stop there. In the spring of 2012, Joseph Romano is behind bars, sentenced to 15 years in prison for his share of a $60 million series of telemarketing coin scams. Now he's thirsty for revenge, says Lara Gatz, the assistant U.S. attorney who put him and his three brothers away. He was the one that stole from people, but ultimately it came to light that he blamed me personally for his predicament. Gatz isn't allowed to talk about what happens next, but FBI Special Agent Ronaldo Terici says Romano begins plotting a gruesome way to reduce his sentence. He felt that if he was able to eliminate the judge and prosecutor on this case, that somehow another pro prosecutor and judge would see his sentence differently and thus reduce his time in prison. Prison cameras catch him plotting with a sympathetic ear, a career criminal who has also been sentenced by federal judge Joseph Bianco. Joe proceeded to ask the other inmate if he knew somebody on the outside that could help eliminate the judge or kill the prosecutor in the case, Lara Gatz. Romano's new buddy has good news. He knows a freelance killer named Bobby Russo, who handles this type of work all the time. In an American Greed exclusive interview, Bobby Russo says he first meets Joe Romano on August 21st at the Nassau County Correctional Facility. He's a big, big man. He's a mountain of a man. He's got to be six foot six, and at the time he must have been about 310 pounds. He's definitely an imposing, intimidating guy. Romano and Russo get straight to business. Neither seems aware that prison security cameras are recording their conversation. Joe is vetting Bobby out. He's never met Bobby before. So Joe is obviously being very careful in his first meeting with, with Bobby. 
Romano starts off with small talk, but Russo's in no mood to chat. And I said, I'm here for the other thing. And when I said that, his eyes lit up, and there was a little smile on his face. There was a doubt in my mind that he knew what I was saying to him, and he wanted me to do it. Romano has a smaller job to test Russo first. He wants him to beat up a Long Island mechanic who has repossessed two of his prized classic cars and is demanding $70,000. Romano will pay Russo $3,000 to teach the mechanic a lesson. He wanted to see if I could follow through with that act of violent behavior. And if I could, then we were off to the races. Russo's contact on the outside will be Romano's partner, David Merkovic. Russo's given a down payment of $1,500 and told to bring back proof after he deals with the mechanic. Upon the completion of the beating, Bobby was to call David and say the party was a success, and, uh, and that's, that's exactly what happened. On September 25th, 2012, Russo and Merkovic meet in the parking lot of a Long Island Home Depot. He shows Merkovic proof that the mechanic's been beaten. This photo taken of the victim during the assault. I show him the photograph of what we did to the mechanic, and he's thrilled. He loves it. I may be a little cheap, but uh, I do the work. Satisfied, Merkovic hands Russo the $1,500 he's owed. When Merkovic calls his boss with the good news, Romano can't hide his joy. I'm in my cell, I'm dancing around and singing and stuff, you know? And I just laughing my balls off thinking about that. Later that day, Merkovic calls Russo again and asks for another sit-down to talk more business. Russo is careful to record the meeting as it goes down. We met. And he sat in my car and he told me, Joseph wanted Judge Bianco and Prosecutor Gatz killed. Okay. Okay. Yeah, what, are we, what are we talking as far as money? I got to go for 20 million. I say $40,000 and he was fine with it. He did not say a word about the, the price that I wanted to charge. But for that price, Merkovic says his boss isn't satisfied with just murder. He's looking for revenge. He wants both her heads from Melbourne. David instructs Bobby that Joe would like trophies to include decapitations of the heads retained in formaldehyde, as well as mutilation of the prosecutor. Uh, Gats, you gotta make disappear. He wants her in a 35-gallon drum. Not a 50, but a 35-gallon <laughs> drum. Stuff her in there, yeah, yeah. He goes, you should fit. Got a little freaky. Yeah. <laughs> it was so bizarre that it, it did catch me off balance for a second. Uh, definitely a maniacal plot. Merkovic gives Russo $22,000 cash as a down payment, but it needs to happen fast. Um, this needs to get done immediately within the next two weeks. Okay, that's no problem. Now the clock is ticking, and two lives are on the line as this dangerous hitman closes in. I collected $22,000 to kill the judge and to kill the prosecutor. 
work of stressing. I have to do it by a certain date. I have a deadline. I have a due date. October 2012. Joe Romano sits behind bars, waiting for word that hitman Bobby Russo has killed the judge and prosecutor who put him away. Joe believes it's a plot to kill the judge and the prosecutor's moving along well. He believes that his scheme is working like a charm. Russo's been given $22,000 and a deadline. Now it's up to him to make a move. I have duty. I have to deliver. I have to take care of these two people to collect my money. But Russo has chosen not to share one key detail with Joseph Romano and his partner, David Merkovic, until now. There's only one problem. I'm a suffocating detective. And we have been on to Merkovic and Romano from day one. And we've been recording every step of this investigation. Bobby Russo is really 18-year veteran Suffolk County undercover narcotics detective Robert Strecker. And he's eager to take these men down. Really, what Romano and Markovic were doing was striking at the, the foundation of the judicial system. They were trying to undermine you know, what keeps our society together. Strecker doesn't mind that his real name is used, but he does ask his face be concealed to protect future undercover operations. He says the entire murder-for-hire plot has been carefully monitored and overseen by FBI Special Agent Ronaldo Terici. The whole case was a, really a, a collaborative effort by all the agencies involved, Suffolk County Police, FBI, National County Police, the U.S. Attorney's Office, National County Corrections. Federal Judge Joseph Bianco and Prosecutor Lara Gatz have been carefully protected by U.S. Marshals since the plot was uncovered. The prison buddy who connected Romano with Bobby Russo originally has been wearing a wire for the FBI all along. He felt that even in the world of criminals, that there was a line not to be crossed, and the line was being crossed by Joe Romano asking him to kill the judge and the prosecutor. And the photo of the beaten Long Island mechanic that sold Strecker's cover story? It was fate, with the help of the mechanic. So we basically asked him to lie down as if he had been beaten, and then took a blurry picture as if somebody would be running away after having beaten the mechanic. It worked great. The entire plot has been carefully documented, and now Agent Terici shuts it down. FBI agents swarm Romano's cell. After being Mirandized, he provided a full confession and a signed sworn statement about his hatching this plot to kill the, the judge and the prosecutor. At the same time, Agent Terici is in Florida, arresting David Merkovic. While at his house, we found in his safe $18,000 in two bundles of $9,000, as well as a loaded pistol in that same safe. Caught red-handed, David Merkovic pleads guilty to conspiracy to commit murder and is sentenced to 24 years in August 2013. Five months later in federal court, Joseph Romano claims the whole murder plot has been blown out of proportion. He had about an hour-long speech as to his view of this case, his view of the government, and also made references to, to Moby Dick, and he felt targeted like Moby Dick was targeted. The man, who once referred to his coin scam victims as whales, now compares himself to the most famous whale of all. 
He made an analogy to himself being the whale with harpoons plunging into him. The judge doesn't buy his whale of a tail, and Joseph Romano is sentenced to two life sentences on top of the 15 he is currently serving. He went from numbers to letters. You never want letters in the federal system because it's L-I-F-E. It's the end of the line for the Romano family. Michael Romano is sentenced to 20 years in prison for mail and wire fraud. Brother Salvatore and Vincent plead guilty to mail and wire fraud as well and are sentenced to seven years. I think their next family reunion is going to be paid for by the Department of Justice. Today, 3,000 victims across the country struggle to recover. The coins Walt Shepard spent $141,000 on have been appraised for less than $20,000. He's swamped with taxes and struggles to survive on Social Security. If I didn't own my home here and I had to rent somewhere, I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't live. Ray Gibbons lost $370,000. Today, he lives in an assisted care facility in California where the highlight of his day is playing dominoes with his niece, Tina Morton. She says the one-time war hero suffers from dementia. If there's one benefit to that, it's he doesn't remember um, the coin scam because that's all he talked about for months and months and months. He was just devastated. Targeting the defenseless, the Romano brothers built a $60 million criminal empire. They lived a life of lies and fraud, and ultimately, they caught up with him. And when Joseph Romano flipped the coin from greed to murder, he lost it all. Thanks for listening to the American Greed Podcast, presented by CNBC. I'm Stacy Keach. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 